So for people that don't know uh, what the Model 60 is, it's a traditional, uh, you know, semi-automatic uh, rifle. Very, you know, in many ways. 22. Like, yeah, it's like a 1022. Uh, but, but it has a tubular magazine that rides along uh, the underside of the, the barrel. Mm-hmm. And it's got a big, big old charging handle. <clears throat> and uh, just, the, just that classic traditional stock. You know that you would associate with the. And the model, it, it's been around for a while. The Model 62 as well. Mm. It's not something new. It's it's that goes back a while. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I see, I see you brought that now for people just tuning in. Uh, Coach Nick and I have begun, uh, you know, cleaning session. We're, we're, yeah, it's cleaning night. It's cleaning night, and we're going to uh, do podcast quickly first. I, I think I think that it's important. People have been waiting to hear from us uh, after Shot Show. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Let's start with that. You know, <sighs> compared to last year, you were some, there were some things you were saying to me that you compared it to last year. Yeah. Um, and your comment was something to the effect of there wasn't a lot of, you didn't seem to think that there was a lot of new, like totally earth shattering new gear uh, or things coming down the pike versus um, little refinements to something that's already on the market. Yeah, you know what? I I, I didn't see a lot of uh, grand innovation. You know, like it. And, and and for the people that have never been to Shot Show, I apologize. I'm sure somebody out there right now is screaming, "You idiot!" You know, like you get to go to Shot Show yeah. and, and you're talking about nothing earth shattering. Like you know, shut up. I yeah. I want to go. I really do take for granted. Uh, in many ways that we're able to go to SHOT Show as the media and, and to enjoy, you know, fully the uh, the entire show. And a lot of people would love to do that. And it's it's not open to everybody. I mean, you have to qualify uh, as either media or industry member uh, to go. And there's, there's clearance. It is uh, one of the tighter uh, securities that, you know, I've seen. You could see a, a huge police presence outside the uh, the sands where they hold the largest firearm expo i think in the world um you know there's there's certainly some other great ones like iwa out in germany but uh definitely shot show is is like a spectacle well the one thing that is consistent from shot show last year is i wasn't there so mm. <laughs> yeah i will get there someday you you, you know i what? will get there someday you were you were uh you your absence was uh did not go unnoticed i had a few people ask me about coach nick and no you, know, you did oh, not. I, I, you know, I didn't want your head to blow up i mean oh, like for christ's sake right? uh there were a few people that we stopped to talk to <clears throat> you know we had we had a very interesting shot show it, it, it was you know the event was its usual grand self and now after having gone a few times uh you know you learn to quickly navigate via map and uh you know to just not always assume that things will be where you think they're going to be and it's just so big that you can get lost pretty fast in some respects if you think you can just like do what you do you know perhaps here in ontario when you go to a, like a gun show you can walk up and down the aisles and be done you know within a half hour it's not like that it's it's more like football fields of guns and uh, as far as the eye could see anything imaginable uh, and related to firearms or a parallel industry like security or body armor or camping equipment. Yeah, I was going to say it's not just it's all the spinoff industries as well, right? Yeah. Or corresponding industries that go along with it. So yeah, you know, like they got ATVs and you know armored vehicles and they, they, like I mean, just you name it, it's there. Uh, if you could dream it up, chances are it's been made and uh, it's out there for the public to see. Or well, not for the public, but for the industry members to see and and certainly to garner some interest uh we, we came across a couple of things there that we were really pleased uh to see across industries has developed a uh 
polymer magazine you know that i'm just in love with the kid the kid and i call him a kid because he's much younger than i am a uh, really bright lad has come up with a, a coupling system and uh, you know clear translucent uh you know magazines for you know ar-15 style platforms and and just wonderful the way they clamp together and they're solid and you know i'm from a generation where when plastic magazines came out people uh just viewed them as disposable you know like the way they did in the military and that they would just break i mean we smashed this thing against the ground and the lips were completely unaffected and the coupling system uh, certainly is solid but still easy to use this kid's really come up with a winner and and there is a YouTube video on that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There, there, you know, there's a video. Uh, <clears throat> I, for one, am totally impressed. I'm really looking forward to uh, running these magazines in our Tommy Gun project. You know, Ooh. we've been, yeah, we've been doing torture testing with the Tommy Gun uh, accessory kit. And, uh, of course, you know, when we found out about these magazines, we thought, wow, that, you know, that would look really cool. You know, we've got Maccabee upper and lower receiver sets working in concert with, you know, our accessory kit. And uh, we've got some great combinations. There's a non-restricted one. Uh, you know, we've got a full-on conversion kit. Uh, but we wanted to run these magazines uh, with it because I think they not not only do they look really cool. Uh, you know, I've been told I haven't experienced it yet, but we're going to find out uh, how well they function. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to really running them through their paces. We got thousands of rounds still to go through. Uh, and we're going to use them. So, other than this magazine manufacturer, yep. give me. Your top three takeaways, um, or if you choose to phrase it, something to look forward to in 2020, or your top mm. three, whatever you want. Oh, what are your top three what? items from Shot Show to discuss or to just to mention? You mean other than going back to Twin Peaks? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, I love American style restaurants. Uh, you know, I walked into this place by accident. I, I swear. <laughs> and, and sure yeah dave was leading leading the way you know dave finds the most interesting places to eat uh dinner uh while we're in vegas but we get ourselves uh out to dinner and and actually that, that's something you know uh was a bit of a takeaway if, uh, if nothing else it was uh, certainly an, uh, an exciting experience for me and i mean I, I worked around the stars as a police officer on uh, movie sets and uh you know i i got an opportunity to meet ed norton and uh, a few other you know, big names in uh, the movie industry. Uh, but, but you know, when we saw these two John Wick, uh, <laughs> large, imposing, you know, Slavic-looking, maybe gentlemen, you know, guarding a, a bathroom while we were eating dinner, like, I, I just lifted my head up, and, I mean, uh, Dave, Dave caught it first. Uh, you know, quickly, uh, I guess uh, somebody had moved into the room, and before we had a chance to even turn around, you know, that person was gone out of view. And what were left were two very large, imposing men that were wired up and they had earpieces. And we knew somebody important uh, must be in the washroom. And of course, we asked the manager uh, what was going on. And he said, there's, you know, a bit of a celebrity in the bathroom and he's out on a date and I can't tell you who he is. And of course, you know, we're all very curious. And, and there I am, you know watching very patiently to see who's going to emerge from this bathroom you know like there's going to be some sort of triumphant music uh and there should have been because uh out steps the uh winner of the fight conor mcgregor right out of the bathroom but uh you know maybe 15 feet away from me and you know i almost wish i had heard trumpets because he knocked that guy out in about 40 seconds it was, it was i watched the fight it was like yeah. it was 40 seconds he uh, just destroyed him yeah you know i i figured the fight would go on uh, a little while longer we were out that night and uh, there was a good um 
you know, uh, intention of being out before the big rush after the fight, uh, but uh, the rush hit anyway because that fight was over so fast. But anyway, out, out from the washroom comes Conor McGregor. And, you know, he's actually taller than you expect he'd be. Uh, you know, he, he steps out, very proud man, you could tell. And, uh, of course, you know, it, it was really interesting to see him kind of slide on by and acknowledge people as he went by. You know, gave the thumbs up. and That was a, that was a fun experience for me uh, there at SHOT Show. But, I mean, the standout, of course, and the thing that I would look forward to in uh, 2021 would definitely be our trip back to... Yep, Battlefield Vegas. Battlefield yep. Vegas. You know, what can I tell you about Battlefield Vegas? If you haven't been there, um, you know, and you love firearms, you haven't lived. It's it's definitely one of my favorite places on the planet. For firearms owners or firearms enthusiasts, I think that that would definitely be a bucket list item. Yeah. Like, I mean, for people uh, that are just tuning in or maybe not as familiar with the firearms uh, community, uh, we we're not allowed to own, uh, for the most part, uh, fully automatic machine guns. But in the United States of America where they have uh, the ability to own class three title uh, firearms they have the ability to shoot full auto and you know under these very controlled circumstances uh, in a range surrounded by military personnel in a very safe environment with uh, enormous protocol in place to ensure everybody's uh, well-being uh, and people go in in droves and they love pulling the trigger on fully automatic uh, firearms and, and weaponry and i mean when i say that i mean these are the true assault rifles that I think that the liberal government would have us believe that, you know, we're owning right now. Um, there is an enormous difference, but when you go to Battlefield Vegas, you certainly feel it. I mean, there's nothing quite like pulling the trigger on a fully out of no, fire. Yeah, I was there two summers ago, and it was, it was, it was quite the experience. And, and, but it just, and, and I was lucky because I got a chance to go into the vault where, mm. you know, the, typically you're not permitted, but um, long story short, got a tour of the vault and and there's anything under the sun that you can imagine in there but then you, you make your selections and and they you know they put them on the tray and they're just bumping against each other they're grinding they're they're oh, slapping and i'm like i'm looking like are you kidding me yeah, right now and and just like that no concern whatsoever these things are banging around each other sliding back and forth metal on metal I'm like holy there's, jesus there's firearms in there that i would wear white gloves you yeah. know to handle if i had an opportunity and and yet they're you know being rolled around because i mean they are handled by a lot of people wearing you know jewelry and i mean they get dinged up and i mean as machine guns go uh fully automatic firearms tend to break down a lot faster because there's so much stress on the parts and you know to maintain these things uh to have on site you know military personnel that are rotating out uh you know i definitely spoke to one of the boys there uh, you know who, uh, who brought us down in the Humvee, which is also an experience. Getting yeah, that's to, fun too. Yeah, you like yeah, that? yeah. You know, like it, take it back to your take it back to your hotel in the back of a military Humvee. Yeah, you know, like to get picked up and dropped off. You know, uh, in a military vehicle uh, with a you know a service personnel member uh, at the wheel in full, you know, uniform. It's uh, it's certainly an experience, you know, banging around the back of that thing. If you think if you think it's comfortable, it is not necessarily, you know, minimalist. Uh, you know, it is, but it's not. I mean, you're on the streets too, so you don't really. 
notice it. It's not that bad because you're driving oh, down right. You're not off-roading yeah, or anything, yeah. right? So you know, I can't imagine what it would be like to run these things over uneven ground. Uh, you know, as a soldier bouncing around in them for any length of time. Uh, on the streets of Las Vegas, it's uh, quite a smooth ride, but it's fun because this thing just kind of thunders up. It's, it is. You know, it's a. It, it looks like a tank with four wheels. Uh, if any of you have never seen, well, it is. It's a. De- <laughs> yeah. It's a decommissioned Hummer. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they come to pick you up and they they bring you in. And as Coach Nick put it, I mean, I, I really. Uh, I did miss out on something. I wanted to try that MP7. You got a chance. To I did, yeah. yeah. The MP7. I you was like, hang on. Hey, you know what? It climbs a little bit. <laughs> you got to hang. Yeah, yeah you got to hang on. Well, one of the guys, you know, explained to me uh, during our first <clears throat> video. He said that the MP7. There was only so many. Uh, you know, that had been led into North America and Battlefield Vegas actually has like five or seven of them. Like they, they have like 50% mm. of the total. Uh, some of these guns, some of these guns don't come into this country and, and Battlefield Vegas is able to get their hands on them. Uh, they've got incredible artifacts, you know, that they run uh, in the World War II and World War One firearms. Uh, you know, I've, I've been eyeballing this, uh, this version of the uh, Lewis gun that they've got laid out, this laddie that's on the floor. I don't know if you've seen, have you seen that big laddie anti-tank? Well, the anti- oh. yeah, well yeah, it's, what is it, eight feet long or something? Oh, it's, it's, it's enormous. It's got, it's got to be about eight feet long. And to see this thing laid out on the ground with its big skis. Uh, is that the one that's similar to one we saw at that display that one time where it takes two guys to carry it? Oh, bigger, much bigger. Okay. Oh yeah. Like. All right. No, but do you remember that that you, what you were holding was one of the arm. Uh, I think it was it was it an Armalite rifle. No, 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 no. This was. Was it a Serbu? It was. This, a, it was a big. It was a big fifty. This, this literally was an anti-tank gun that was about eight feet long, and it took two guys to deploy during World War Two. You, you know, you know the one that has the. This was a couple. This was a couple, about two, three Septembers ago. We're at that show. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, I, I'm, I'm. Oh yes, yeah. You're talking about the. Um, Oh God! What's it called? It's 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 that giant SKS rifle, that PRS or the thing's gigantic. It's huge. Yeah, it's it's like that size, right? It's it's enormous, and you know, I wish I could remember the name of that uh, that giant SKS. It fires like uh, basically a fifty cal round. It's, yeah, it's it was an anti tank. Well, well, the laddie is is actually I would think bigger. Like it's got to be bigger. It's a, it's firing a twenty millimeter cannon round. You know, so this thing is shooting, you know, lumps of, uh, you know, steel that are about 2,000. I'm trying to remember how many grains they are. Like, they're just, they're just enormous. They dwarf uh, 50 cal rounds. Well. Yeah. But, but go, go ahead. I was, oh, was going to say, if I ever have, the, ever have the opportunity to get out there again, um, you know, if, it, if it's just for vacation, if it's hopefully for SHOT Show. Or you're coming. And, 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 and I'm dragging your ass out there next <laughs> And year. I get to Battlefield Vegas. It's the minigun. I, you it's going to be the minigun. I don't even, you know, I don't even care. It's going to uh, be the minigun. I don't even care what you say. Um, we're, we're not going to ask the board permission for you to take leave. <laughs> for shots, we're not. Oh, I'm just gonna disappear just for a week. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It'll be like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. <laughs> where's Where's Nick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bueller. That's right. Bueller. The teacher disappears. Yeah. No. No supply teacher for five days in a row. You know, for all our young listeners that have never seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yeah. I highly recommend it. Tape you recorder. Will have, you will have a great laugh. It, it really was an entertaining. It's kind movie. of a classic. It is, and it still it still entertains me to this yeah. day. Yeah. And a lot of them have missed it. But let's oh, wait, hold on. Let's get back on track because you know what? If we if we go any further down the teacher path, I'm liable to ask you about the strikes. I know you're gonna. <laughs> okay, let's just continue with Battlefield Vegas or Shot Show. We can segue into 
Did it, a different topic. Did, did I did I tell you folks that Coach Nick? Oh, right? oh come on, Coach Nick. You're not. So you're all over the ADDs kicking again. No, it's not. Place. No, 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 no. I was just gonna say Coach Nick, striker captain. We got to get you a jacket made up. <laughs> I, have, I, have an, I have a cute red toque that I have to wear. You know what? I'm really looking forward to what's to come on that front. Uh, okay, well let, let's let's head back to Vegas for a second and and Battlefield. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to shoot some of the most unbelievable firearms uh, that you could ever hope to get your hands on uh, check them out at battlefield vegas uh, the packages are very reasonable if you uh, head on to the vault and make the mistake of going in there please like just limit the number of selections because it could go on forever if you ever get lucky enough to take a look at the inside <laughs> of that vault it's uh it's unbelievable make sure you clear your credit card before oh. you go <laughs> oh you know like yeah. it's it's honestly it but it's so much fun and, and to tape the experience and you know and photograph it uh you know we we of course we run film every year at battlefield vegas because it is definitely uh the place to be and, and an opportunity to fire some of the most glamorous fully automatic firearms on the planet uh like movie movie stuff you see in movies yeah like if you right? like if you've ever wanted to fire a tommy gun whether it be you know the prohibition series you know era you know untouchables al capone or if you want to do yeah. the m1a1 you know world war ii saving private ryan and shoot the real thing you know you can do uzis uzis oh are you kidding me like i mean i i drool ak's yeah did like you see, did you see the blinged out did you see the blinged out ak 47 and uzis they're all gold no, I, I, that's not, they're like, that's not, like that's some, not right. It's some like, I don't like it. Yeah. But well, I don't like you, it. You don't, you don't care. You don't like it, huh? I don't like it. <laughs> well, then how about, how about, you know, like I always like to go in there and ask them to, I call it ordering off the menu. Yeah. And, and see, when you go into Battlefield Vegas, you know, you, of course you check in and, you know, IDs are given over and, you know, they, um, allow you to flip through catalog of, um, uh, the pre the pre-made packages, packages yeah pre-made packages and of course you know they have they have like the Iwo Jima package where you can yeah. fire you know fire different from, themes yeah from different different themes uh, there there definitely are uh, a lot of guns there that you can enjoy that you would recognize from your favorite films uh, you know if you like Die Hard you'll recognize you know the MP5 it's not a Christmas movie. It's, it's a Christmas movie. No, it's not. It's a Christmas movie. It's not very positive you or uplifting. What? You you know. What? <laughs> you know what? I hope you get lynched by our audience. I hope one day they turn on you for not for your that's failure not, to love. That's not very Christmas nice. Classic. That's not very nice. Guy. Well, you know what? It's I can't believe that I you, thought I thought I thought the King and Gun Vault was was a, a safe a safe space. You know, <laughs> free of discrimination. <laughs> You know, you got to go there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you're, you know, you're like, you're like that grouchy old man at Christmas time. It's a Christmas movie and, and that's all there is to it. I'm sure my audience would agree. I'm a grouchy old man every day. You know what? You absolutely are. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be one of your students and you guys are demanding a raise. Like I they get it. <laughs> oh, the kids get, get it. They get it quick. <laughs> the kids, the kids get, get it. What? Okay. What do the kids get? They understand how Mr. How their teacher is. Oh. They figure it out. They do. They figure it out pretty quick. You, well, you know what? You're you're the only teacher I know that says don't bother me until I finish this cup of coffee. <laughs> like to your kids. But they listen. They do. You get them in line really fast. You're like kindergarten cop. <laughs> yeah. Only only with like some savvy. Like I mean, it's uh, like honestly, I love the way you teach. And here I, we go. Well, no, no. Is this a segue? Are we done with Vegas now? No, no. I just think that it's important to mention that I think you're a fantastic teacher. I appreciate it. Thank oh, you. All right. Good. Good. 
said. We'll move on. Back to Battlefield Vegas. Okay, now, I got a chance to fire this PM63. Uh, Nick Nick Pellegrino, uh, a.k.a. the Webley guy, uh, he got his hands on one of these things. He uh, he was looking at something different. Yeah, he was me. out there. He was out there, and, you know, he had an opportunity to fire this thing. He, he advised me that they were referring to it as the dentist and that it was kind of uh, not dangerous to shoot, but, but definitely required uh, a certain degree of uh, awareness uh, where your face was placed behind the gun because the, the gun, instead of a bolt, it has a slide that reciprocates in front right. of your face. Right, like so, your, yeah, yeah. So like you put your you put your cheek sort of on this uh, really you know interesting wire stock that really isn't comfortable and it flexes like so it moves up and down so that the gun can rock in your hand and it's small it's 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 a machine pistol from the cold war era so this thing was made in 1972 it's got all these sharp kind of you know iron like features on it and it's got this scoop that sticks out the front of the gun th- when it's not cocked back that you that. that hangs over the end of the muzzle in your hand where you grab onto this forward pistol grip. And so you put your cheek on this thing and when you pull the trigger, <clears throat> you're rewarded to, um, you know, this quick burst of like, I tried to just tap it and I got like three or four rounds, just jumped out of the gun. Like that's how fast the rate of fire was. I knew when I tried <clears throat> to just pull the trigger as quickly as I could and it spit out like three or four rounds that this thing was going to move quick. Nine millimeter? No, it's it's actually nine by 18. You know, typical you know, Cold War communist cartridge, uh, Makarov cartridge. Yeah, yeah, the original right, Makarov right. Cartridge. So this thing uh, instantly, you know, I think it was about three or four pieces of brass jump out the front of this thing, and I realized that it's going to be an interesting ride. It's controllable, like, you know, it's shooting a subsonic round, but I pull the trigger and I hold it. And this thing just races off and goes through like a 20 round magazine in about a second and a half. And so I'm putting the rate of fire somewhere in the neighborhood of like a thousand plus RPMs, right? Like it it buzzes out. But is it open bolt? Well, yeah, it's an open it's an open bolt gun. Uh, (laughs) So as it slams shuts, it it fires. But then this this slide that, you know, um, is exposed and rocking back and forth is coming right at your face, heading towards your like orbital socket. And so if you're if you're too forward on the gun, it's really difficult to get too forward on it. But if you're too forward on the gun, it could actually smack you in the noodle. You know, like it, it actually could do that. Um, if you if you were if you got a little ham fisted and wanted to get too close to the back sight, you could get punched right in the face with this thing. So they really do take the time to kind of yeah. make sure that you're yeah. in the right position. It's oh, to- rightfully it's, so. Yeah, it's totally controllable. <laughs> um, you know, our our range safety officer Mike, uh, he was fantastic. I mean, everybody there's great. Big John, who manages the place, uh, Trevor. You know, everybody that we ran into, all the drivers, Ronnie, the boys. You, they they, they, they all, are fr- they are a friendly bunch. Oh, like I remember yeah. the fellow that took his backdoor hotel in the Humvee uh, was just like, but, but it was, it was genuine conversation. It wasn't yeah. just, I have to talk to you because I'm taking you back and I feel obliged. Like he was just, you know, genuine, genuine, sincere conversation. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, I typically uh, thank people for their service and I know that it's not easy being a soldier and certainly coming out, um, you know, from active duty can be a little difficult for some. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's, there, I mean, it's, it's, you're going from one world to another, and, and it's not necessarily an easily easy transition. So. No, and, and you know, I, I I talked about that with several of the guys, and they all seem to get the uh, the bigger picture. Uh, you know, I definitely saw 
uh, an opportunity in this place uh, to help soldiers, and, and I think it could be transferred to police officers, to actually help them make the transition into civilian life a little easier. A lot of people don't know, when you leave policing, there's an adjustment period, to say the least. You know, the, the shifts, uh, you know, throw your body's rhythm off. And then, of course, you know, to suddenly stop wrestling around with crackheads at 5 a.m. in a dark alley, you know, can leave you wandering around the house late at night. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, th- if things go well, then maybe uh, we'll see if that opportunity is there for, for ex-police officers, right? You know what? If, I, if, if the good Lord's willing kind of thing. Well, you know, you know I, I, think, I think that... You know, the government obviously wants uh, <clears throat> more control uh, over over people and not necessarily firearms, but uh, the people, in our opinion. And, you know, I love the idea of a range uh, employing police officers and military personnel. Uh, I think people are a little bit leery of it. Um, you know, any mention of like, a, you know, a government sanctioned club. But I love that idea. And, and I definitely think that if we enshrine property rights uh, into the charter uh, and, and make people feel more comfortable about the uh, the idea uh, of registering guns, and I know there's there's somebody out there right now losing his absolute losing their their mind, not necessarily his or hers, but their mind, and saying you know registration. He see it, ah, he's for registration. Actually, I'm not opposed to the idea of registration as long as we never find ourselves in this position again. And the idea that the government could arbitrarily take something away from people, you know, just doesn't sit well with a lot of people well beyond, you know, the firearm community. I'm seeing a lot of support being drummed up uh, in areas that typically are are, uh, left leaning and, uh, you know, filled with people that are, you know, uh, liberal minded. And people seem to get it. The idea that the government would, you know, be able to step into people's lives and just take something, and especially after they kept on saying again and again that they wanted to leave it to the experts and make sure that we listen to, you know, those that understand safety and firearms, the police, they are the ones that should be making these determinations and not politicians, and we have to listen to them. And then, of course, the RCMP. Just about to say, interestingly enough, the experts are starting to speak, and it's... a little bit contrary to what the political agenda is. You know, like I, 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 somehow in my mind, I see Justin Trudeau standing on a podium and saying, you know what, you must listen to the police. They are going to tell you what to do and they're the ones we should listen to. And the next panel, you know, RCMP, you know, uh, study revealed that, you know, legal gun owners are not the problem and should not be, should not be bothered. And then it's, and then the panel into that one should be Justin Trudeau saying, don't listen to them. You know, like, and then the fourth panel will be, well, that was a 20, 2018 survey and things have changed diametrically in, in two years. Oh, the amount of shady, shifty shit that they've been putting <clears> on, <throat> it's just, it's unbelievable. I'll tell you one thing that's not shady. How about that e-petition, 140,000? Crushing, 100, crushing it. 141,489, I think. Is that what it was? I knew it was I, 40. That, that was the last time I checked yeah. on it. Just and crushing it. Just outstanding. Yeah, Congratulations yeah. to everybody out there. You know what? For everybody out there that shared that e-petition, uh, you know, that was initiated or, you know, seconded perhaps by, by member of parliament, Glenn Motts, uh, you know, it's not about guns. It's about democracy. It's about democratic process and how it's being jumped. And so I think that's something that everybody should be able to get on board with. The idea that a government would suddenly, you know, uh, do whatever the hell they want, especially when, uh, you know, a lot of people are standing up saying it's wrong. Uh, you know, that's something I think that everybody should be very cautious of and would be uh, interested in knowing if it's happening. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for all the people out there that share the petition, please uh, continue <clears throat> to do so. Contact your friends. Uh, we'd like to see it in every gun store at a terminal so that people can sign in. You know, uh, if you get them set up like that, uh, you know, in our ranges, uh, in our gun stores, in our gun clubs, uh, the amount of pedestrian traffic that we can get in through those places and throw that into our, our efforts to get this petition up to as many signatures as possible. Uh, I, I, I'm, I was going to make a prediction, but I don't want to put a cap on it. Okay, then just leave it. But I, yeah. what I'd like to say, though, is if you have social media, what, what regards to what that social media is, I'm thinking probably along Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Everybody out there, put it up for one day a week. Yeah. Put it up one day a week and think about if everybody did that, how many more signatures would we get? One day a week. You know what? I, I think everybody that thought that they could put it up once and that that would be enough, it's not. And I hate to tell you what to do with your pages, folks, but I mean, everybody yeah. out there that has the ability. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Hey, uh, hey I, I'm, I'm a March baby. We, we tend to take charge. I, I love the idea of <clears throat> leading people. I hate the idea of having its title. Uh, I never wanted the responsibility of doing that. But I will, I will tell people that it is important that we share this information. Uh, I think we should do it often. You know, your audience may sweep on by your page and maybe miss it uh, from one day to the next people aren't on uh, the Instagram and Facebook pages. So, I mean, to put it up a few times uh, would be a, a big help. Absolutely. And, and, and I mean, of course, there's going to be people out there that you would have on your social media, friends, family, work colleagues, whatever, that may uh, vehemently disagree with that. But then there's an opportunity to kind of explain that it, it's not just about guns. It's the implication with respect to private property. Or it, it, You know, do we start by... Do we start down or, or, or allow the potential for that slippery soap to develop? Um, if we if we don't kind of stand up and take this action, it's like okay, it's guns. Is that where it's going to stop? How do we know that's where it's going to stop? You know, and, and and I've and I've spoken to people about this. I, I believe that dangerous precedents, uh, you know, can be. Something to be concerned about if they can uh, take guns, uh, really what it boils down to is just property. If they can just take them without any real good reason and with everybody saying it's wrong and it's not going to do or help anything and it's going to be real expensive, which is something I've been talking about for years. Um, I, I think that it's important that everybody get on board with this movement uh, because, you know, next time it might be bank accounts. It yeah. Might, yeah. You know, it might be your house. Yep. Uh, a lot of people that live in, you know, communist uh, like countries are very accustomed to having the government swoop in and seize bank accounts, which is uh, something that I think everybody should be concerned about in a digital age. You know, like, I mean, if you, it's, it's not like the old days, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the digitization of everything around us I've, I've seen as a, you know, kind of a bad thing. Uh, emails get discarded very quickly. Uh, when people write into their members of parliament, they have to open a letter, you know, and actually read it. And, and it forces people to not just skip down the page, uh, you know, and, and certainly it, it says a lot about your character and uh, your level of involvement when you take the time to actually write it. And for the people out there that think that it's uh, ineffective, I can tell you right now, every single person that writes into their member of parliament, uh, you know, or members of parliament, every time that you force them to see, you know, your opinion, uh, your expression uh, of dissatisfaction at the things they're doing, uh, it has an impact. It has a cumulative impact. And I think that everybody needs to uh, do things like, you know, sign the petition, uh, send the letters. The CCFR has some great templates up if you need some ideas. Uh, certainly you can draw from our pages uh, and uh, view our posts. We talk enough about firearms advocacy that I think you can put something together. 
Yeah, keep it classy. That's the only thing. Yeah, you know, keep it classy. Stay composed. Uh, for everybody that called in to Fred Eisenberger's office after he made that boneheaded statement, uh, <laughs> ban them damn guns. Uh, you know, without knowing much, uh, Fred once again has uh, <clears throat> unzipped his pants and stepped <laughs> stepped on his own, John. He he just I don't know that guy. I tell you, it, it embarrasses me that he comes from my hometown. You know, he gets up there and says, I, I said ban them. I keep telling him, ban those damn guns. Whatever he said, it was very off the cuff. And I, when I spoke to his secretary or his assistant, uh, Marco, you know, you know, I, I think I think it was pretty clear that it's wrong and it doesn't matter that it's firearms and that we really have to, you know, be guarded against this type of activity from the government. Of course, Marco was sort of sympathetic. And then I just flat out asked him, I said, would you be OK with, you know, somebody coming in and just taking your car? You know, it emits, it emits too much CO2. Uh, we're not going to allow them to run on the road. Uh, we're going to give you a third of what it's worth. And, you know, that's okay. You know what? Don't, uh, don't feel bad about being victimized by your government. We compensated you. We gave you one third of the value of the car. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. you know, so, and, 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 and he, he, he went quiet and then he said it. He said, I can see where you're coming from. He's not going to agree with you. Well, he's not allowed to express an opinion, but he certainly saw my point, uh, I think was the takeaway from that. And I'll tell you, it won't be the last time Fred says something like that. Although although I understand that he wasn't quite as um, vocal uh, no. about his thoughts. The second no, time. later the day when I saw him on the news, the 6 o'clock news, he wasn't... He watered he it down a little yeah, bit? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't present as demonstrative a demeanor as he did from behind the keyboard. Yeah. And I mean, hey, let's face facts. Okay. A seven-year-old boy was shot and that is totally tragic. And no one here is standing on that. Anybody that wants to accuse me of taking advantage of this, go, you know, you can go screw yourself. I really don't care. Uh, I can tell you right now that, you know, we have to talk about these subjects. It's difficult. I'm not standing on the boy's grave, but I will say this. Um, nothing that they're proposing would have stopped that from happening. And I'm interested in stopping that from happening again. I'm a retired police officer. I shouldn't care as much about these things, but it makes me absolutely nuts to know that they would waste a single penny uh, failing to address the real issue of gang violence and smuggled guns. And to hear um, them talk about it openly on the news uh, when John Tory had that group, they cut the meeting short and they said, we're going to focus on the smuggled guns that seem to represent somewhere between 80 and 84 percent. Yes. Using yeah. 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 But in, sorry, I was going to say, interestingly enough, though, um, the fact that they came out and stated they're going to focus on the smuggled guns, the 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 Niagara Falls mayor wasn't invited. So if yeah. they're crossing the border, and that's probably that's the closest border to Toronto, uh, would you not want the mayor of their closest border town to be at the meeting that with respect to the issue that you want to address? You know... I don't understand that. You know, I'm not I'm not going to get all conspiracy theorists on this one, but I will say this. Uh, I'll make the excuse for them. Perhaps they're going to have a uh, separate meeting, you know, to address oh. these issues more directly and uh, certainly... Um, you know, more attention can be focused on on that problem. I want to I want to believe that they would do that. Maybe you should call into your member of parliament and find out whether or not that's actually happening. Uh, it, it should be important that uh, all the border towns and places, oh, absolutely, and places that illegal guns could be coming in from should get involved in this. Phone phone John Tory's office. Say, yeah. I, can you explain this? Yep. You're worried about 
the importation of illegal guns, then why aren't you addressing it with that mayor that would have a direct impact or, and direct oversight considering it's a border town? Well, you know what? Uh, perhaps we don't know the whole story. I'm, uh, I'm thinking that we should find that one out. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, I know. Uh, moving, moving back to Battlefield, because I know everybody wants to know what happened there. Um, you know, I, I had an opportunity to make personal uh, favorite selections. Uh, some things I hadn't fired before, some things I had. Uh, I could tell you that um, I, I couldn't resist after uh, watching Felix from Gunpoint Manufacturing uh, pulled the trigger on a uh, C2, which is a fully automatic foul with a bipod. Like it's a heavy barreled foul, FN, foul rifle and 308. So if you can imagine folks, if you haven't seen Gunpoint Manufacturing on uh, on the gram and Facebook, uh, he, he makes these amazing custom AR-15, well, he does a lot of things, but it, he's a class three title machine gun um, I guess manufacturer and he does custom work and he's not a large man. He, he, he's, he's not, he's not overly big. And, and if you've seen him, you know, holding this, uh, C2, it, it really is a big gun when he's holding his hands and he fires this thing full auto and, you know, you could tell it was making him work. I'm not, I'm not going to say that he, well, 308, of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, when, when, a, when a 308 goes off in full auto folks, like, I mean, 308 kicks pretty hard, but to have it in full auto, even a gas operated, uh, semi-auto can beat you up a little bit. And of course, this thing has a heavy barrel and I'm taking into consideration it's got a bipod but you kind of see Felix turn to the camera at one point and he's like whoa <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and so I knew I needed to try one of those so I asked for a full auto uh, FN but I didn't want the C2 I wanted one like you know that, that a regular soldier would carry and a lot of people don't know you know the Canadian military of course uh, were blessed uh, to have uh, had had the time in with these FN foul rifles the C1 so it was a Canadian made FN and uh, they're known to be some of the, the best made FN variants out there they're very desirable collectibles in the US apparently they go for something like $28,000 wow really yeah. wow uh, I've had my conversations with Bro podcast Brian about mm -hmm. it and of course he carried uh, in the military an FN and at times even the C2s and, and, and your know, podcast, Brian's not a big guy either, but it is a big gun. And so with this regular FN in mind, you know, uh, I managed to select one from the Vegas uh, inventory there. And I got to tell you, when I pulled the trigger on that thing, holy shit. Like, I mean, you, you better be, you better be ready, uh, to hold on. You know, is it dangerous? No, you really got to lean into it. Yeah. I was uh, going to say, you gotta, it, 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 it's, it's a little wild. Get I your nose out over your toes well, there, eh? Well, you know, like I, I, I leaned right out, uh, into it and, and I kind of rocked off my feet for a second there. Like it rocked me backwards. And then as I pushed forward, I finally let, you know, let go of the trigger. Uh, I could only seem to do, you know, these six round bursts or so before it started to climb wildly. Uh, you know, it, it really did want to take off. Now I know that a lot of people with, with better form than I, uh, would have had for sure. I was just so excited to shoot it. Honestly, yeah. that I, I, everything goes out the window. Well, yeah. You know, like I, like I, I totally have grown so accustomed to just, you know, sort of lightly putting a, a shoulder, uh, to, uh, to butt pad that I forget sometimes you got to really hold these things down and the FN went off in my hands and I let off a burst and it was like, you know, whoa, like it really, it really jumps around on you. Uh, I could see why they issued uh, Canadian troops semi-auto only versions of these guns. Uh, if you're not laying down on the ground, in my opinion, if you're not laying down on the ground with one hand on top of this thing, it's going to climb. 
Like, I mean, at a hundred yards, I can't imagine you would be doing anything more than, you know, just kind of shooting in the general area of, uh, you know, like it really, it really does jump and move, uh, and, and beat you up. You know, Brian, Brian said, you know, you better hold on. Yeah. You know, you warned me and, uh, I wasn't going to let Felix outdo me. So I had to, put, I had to do it. Now, that one I enjoyed. Uh, I had a chance to fire a fully automatic Thompson with a 50 round drum magazine. That was, that was awesome. You didn't see it in the video yet because it's in part two. We haven't released it yet, but I'll tell you, I got my hands on uh, a 1928 Thompson with, you know, that classic untouchables, you know, Al Capone style vertical foregrip. And I mean, it's what we patterned the, the CGV prohibitions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really wanted to see what the real thing was like in full auto. And I got to tell you, I was really pleasantly surprised to see how controllable it was. That drum magazine, I guess, weighs it down a lot and it doesn't want to climb uh, the same way it does. And by the time, you know, as you shoot a full auto uh, firearm, you know, the magazine, um, certainly as, as this thing spits out its bullets, you've, you've got a magazine that's emptying, so the uh, weight and balance of the firearm changes. Physic physics takes over and yeah. kind of changes things a little bit. Yeah. And as guns get lighter, they, they tend to jump around a little bit more, and felt recoil forces are, you know, felt by the user a little bit more easily. And, uh, you know, sometimes the last few rounds can be a little tough. Uh, but unless, of course, you settle in. And, and that's the other thing that, you know, as you start firing it, the, the guns tend to start climbing. And then if you keep holding on and you kind of bring it back down again under control, it kind of settles. Uh, it's not true with, you know, everything. And, and were, the problem is actually, you know, um, much more exacerbated, perhaps, uh, when you're firing the bigger calibers. Uh, but the Thompson was totally controllable. In, in that full auto form and, and the older guns like the Prohibition series guns tended to have a higher rate of fire and I mean I, I tore out the center of this target I felt like I was in a carnival remember the, those, the, those the little, little red star the little red star yeah. you had to punch out yeah, yeah. It, that it, was it, virtually impossible to do yeah they'd always go around the back of it and they pull out like some little piece that you missed there's I mean, no yeah you there's know. no I don't know anybody who ever accomplished shooting that star out uh, <laughs> with those little Bull, or, uh, the little pellets little coming out of that thing or whatever they were yeah so, so they, they they took these guns and they converted them into like uh machine air rifles yeah they had an air hose attached to it, remember air, yeah i don't I, I probably i don't imagine that they're allowed today i haven't i don't think i've seen one i haven't been to a carnival quite so yeah long, but, but you know like they spit out these little little tiny you know pellets and the idea was that they you would shoot using like full auto fire, you shoot out this little star. Red so, star. Yeah. Red yeah. star right in the middle of a piece of paper. And yeah. And if you could carve it out you would think that you could go around in a big circle, but it's yeah, not, it's not that easy. They're not that simple. accurate. No. Yeah. You know what? You try and use the sights and then you kind of give up on those and then you just kind of start hosing. It, it's pretty much, it's spray and pray. <laughs> spray and pray. But, but that's not what it's like at battlefield. You know, they really do a great job of getting you set up correctly and uh, getting your form down. Uh, they walk you through everything. There's safety protocol, of course, uh, they tend to load the firearms for you. We actually had a, an exception made for ourselves. Uh, I didn't ask for it. They offered. I would have never dreamed uh, or been uh, so presumptuous as to assume that I could load my own firearms there. Ordinarily, they load the firearms for everybody, yep. and uh, that's that's part of their normal protocol. They can make exceptions. Uh, I, I I guess I must have qualified as some kind of expert uh, that he afforded me the opportunity to, under supervision, of course, uh, load. You know, the firearms, which some of these were, you know, much different than others. Uh, the Thompson, you got to rock this iron, this iron uh, lever arm. 
uh, on the one side of the gun or steel lever arm on the side of the gun in order to get the magazines in and out. And, you know, stick magazines fit along this track, but the drums kind of slide in from the side and it's a, it's, it, it completely loads the gun differently, but, and the drums rattle. Like they, they have this like unbelievable kind of, um, you know, weight to them, but you can feel the bullets inside almost like they're hanging in there. It's, it's really, it's really an awesome, you know, experience to shoot a Tommy gun, but to load one and to have an opportunity to, to shoot that piece of history. And, uh, along with, you know, any one of a number of other guns, like it's just really just a truly a, an amazing experience there at that place. Oh yeah. If you're ever in Vegas, give it, give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I'm trying, I'm trying to think if there was, uh, perhaps one more, one more standout. What did, you, what did you fire when you were there? You did the MP7. I flipping I I can only remember the MP7. Really? Yeah, I'd have to check my I have to check the pictures. Uh, well, yeah. You know what? Another surprise. I wanted to do the Mac 11, but they would they that oh, put the kibosh she, on that. She she was down. Eh? That that Mac 11 is a lot of fun. They've got it's suppressed. Eh? The only the only one that they've let people use is a suppressed one. Yeah, I, I asked him and he had to go. He had to go speak to the head honcho or whatever, and I guess the guy said... Nah, that that thing's a bullet hose. Like, it's it's coming... You're looking at about twelve or 1,300 RPMs. It just... It's like this constant arc of brass. If you pull that trigger, it just, like, comes out of that gun so fast. You got, like, a, uh, a, 30, a 30 or 32-round magazine, and it empties in, like, about a second and a half. Jeez. Yeah, it's 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 a buzzsaw. Bit of a rate of fire. Well, man. you know, it, it's it's the gun you would have seen uh, in that famous scene with John Travolta and uh, uh, Bruce Willis in uh, Pulp Fiction, where, you know, Bruce Willis comes back to his apartment worried that they're going to try and kill him. Uh, after he um, screws over all the the mobsters in the big fight, he comes back to his apartment to get um, the watch that was brought to him. But do you remember? Do you remember the scene with? Oh uh, God, I haven't seen Watkins? that movie for years. Oh, he, he brings the watch back in his ass and he presents it to the boy. Anyway, <laughs> Bruce Willis, you know he he, he throw, he's supposed to throw this fight, but instead he he knocks the guy out and kills him. And then he's on the run and picks up this, you know. Um, love interest of his and says, did you remember to bring the watch? She forgot the watch. So he has to go back to his apartment knowing full well that the mobsters will be waiting for him there to kill him. And he gets inside his apartment, he gets his watch, and he looks on the counter and, and notices that there's a Mac 11, or a Mac 10 rather, with uh, a, a silencer on a suppressor. And he's like, holy shit. Like, he's in, he, he hears a noise, and he turns around, and it's John Travolta coming out of the bathroom. You know, I guess I guess he flushed the toilet. He steps out, <laughs> and, and Bruce Willis didn't is take stand, his gun with him to the toilet. And Bruce Willis is standing there, you know, holding this uh, Mac Ten, you know, with a giant suppressor on it, one of the old school like Sonics, I think. And you know, there's this pause, this dead silence, and this moment between John Travolta and uh, Bruce Willis, and. and Willis, of course, is just deadpan faced, and he's got the uh, Mac 11 down low, uh, you know, firing from the hip. He lets out this big burst and kills John Travolta, and it's that famous scene. And I mean, if you've ever watched, you know, uh, TV in the 80s, you saw Mac 10s and Mac 11s. Oh yeah, all the they're, time. They're that uncomfortable little brick. It's it's it's, it's an orange. <laughs> It's an orange house brick. Yeah. That's like, what it is. It really is. They're, they're, they're probably one of the most uncomfortable uh, machine pistols ever made. They're, uh, you know, put together with stamped 
metal uh open bolt they're they're an open bolt i think they i think they cost like a grand total of uh something like you know 29 bucks back in the day to make and now these things are collectibles and in the uh, american uh firearm community the class three title holders the people that are legally allowed to own these types of firearms and and truthfully there hasn't been a single one used uh, in a crime in something like 60 years it was like once or something like that and but other than that uh, nobody ever seems to cause any trouble with these fully automatic machine guns that can be in private ownership and they they have a a very uh rigorous screening system in place there's fingerprinting involved uh you know it 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 truly is uh exciting that they uh, as americans can own these items privately and and they've never been a problem and so you know to, to have an opportunity to experience that you know places like battlefield vegas you know uh the, our favorite machine guns from movies uh you know a chance to shoot history uh some really knowledgeable and friendly staff uh, there, there's just so many people there that you know uh, afford you the opportunity to speak to you know your uh, your service members or american military service members for the canadians that visit and, and i hear a lot of us go down there um you know Big John says that, uh, you know, 15 or so uh, percent, uh, 15 to 20 percent of their clientele are Canadians. Coming wow. Yeah. Coming down there to enjoy, uh, you know, some safe, a lot of fun. It's part of the Vegas experience now. It uh, is. For a lot of people, yep. you know, if you're going to be down there, you're doing a bachelor party, whatever. Uh, if you if you are having a bachelor party, <laughs> do not show up drunk. They will not let they you. They won't, no. They will. And if you smell like weed, I don't think they're going to let you shoot the machine guns either. So, like, they turn people away. They have no problems being responsible about things. I love you know that under direct supervision you can have the exciting opportunity to shoot uh you know these full auto guns seeing military service members um still wearing the uniform still surrounded by their peers uh, people that uh, they respect um you know in in these uh quasi positions of authority that help them make the transition back to civilian life a little bit easier because they still have you know that uh camaraderie uh, I heard one of the men at Battlefield Vegas refer to uh, Colin McAllister as a uh, pretty boy, which I thought that was kind of fun. Colin was our first. Uh, first he, yeah, he was my he was my guy. Oh, yeah. Was he yours? Yeah. Yeah. You got yeah. Colin was great. Yeah. Good dude. Great guy. He's moved on. Uh, I understand. I understand he got married. I told him not to, but he did it anyway. Uh, he's uh, he's taken himself out of Battlefield Vegas. He's moved on to bigger things, uh, at least for him. And uh, the guys there, uh, you know, they had a good uh, good chuckle at his expense. But I, I could tell he's missed. Uh, you know, the people that we had were were fantastic. You know, we uh, every one of our range safety officers was like top flight. Uh, I mean, your experience with Colin was good. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but they're and they're all super knowledgeable. Like I don't know. How- how they store all that knowledge about each individual gun because yeah. um, they don't know what you're going to go and select. And so you pick it out and they start telling you about it. And all, I'm just like, holy geez. Yeah, yeah. That that SCG-44 was a hell of an experience. But I'll tell you, the one standout surprise in all that, and I'll do one more gun because I want you guys just to watch the videos. They're on YouTube if you get a chance. Uh, our Battlefield Vegas videos uh, have been probably some of our most exciting. But uh, probably a standout and one that I never would have expected was the AUG. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, you know what? I fired the AUG. The Donut of Death? The Donut of Death. You know, if you've never looked through a, a classic 1980s vintage Steyr AUG, it has this um, optic uh, carrying handle combination on the top. And it's the famous rifle or machine gun used by Carl in Die Hard, which, of course, is uh, Coach Nick's favorite movie at Christmas time. And... <laughs> Not a Christmas right? movie. If you've ever seen that scene, you know, where, uh, you know... 
Bruce Willis is on the run. You know, there are machine guns going off everywhere. Carl has a vendetta. You know, uh, Bruce Willis has killed his brother. He's Carl's on a mission. You know, he's this big, you know, Euro trash looking blonde, yeah. Yeah. you know, guy, you know, your typical arch villain from the 1980s, you know, doesn't speak a lot. And, you know, he doesn't want him neutral. He wants him dead. You know, that these this guy is like he's he's this big imposing man. And of course, he's got a gun that he's put together himself while he's riding on the elevator. So, you know, it's a bad, right. it's a bad, evil gun. He's locking in barrels on the fly. And, you know, uh, back in the uh, mid 80s or 1988, when Die Hard first came out, I'm sure that not a lot of people had seen, you know, this very futuristic bullpup rifle that everything else wants to be the Styrock. And so, you know, and I have an opportunity to shoot uh, that gun from that movie, you know, the bad guy gun, you know, and, and if you've ever seen that scene where Carl is like, he's like creeping along the roof while everybody else is running around shooting machine guns at Bruce Willis, he's shooting back. Carl is like stealthily moving slowly along the rooftop, you know, like, like uh, tracking his prey, you know, uh, stalking, you know, Bruce Willis. And all of a sudden, you know, Carl lowers this thing and, and, you know, it certainly is shaped differently than everything else, but then the sound jumps out of it and you can tell it's a much bigger gun. And of course the bullets are flying and things are, you know, uh, getting struck with a lot more force. You can tell, you can tell that it's a more powerful, scary gun and it's being carried by Carl. So it must be bad. He's one of the terrorist thugs, you know, and he's shooting at Bruce Willis and this thing is so much louder than everything else. And that scene, it's such a great scene in that movie. Uh, you know, to actually have an opportunity to shoot a Styrog and to, you know, pull a round or two off and to know that the trigger group on the full auto AUX, it's like this two stage trigger where if you pull it lightly, you get one round, but if you pull it hard and hold it, you get full auto fire. It doesn't have a selector switch. It's got it's got an off and on switch. You know, you got a safety that's a crossbar type, but then when you pull the trigger, you pull the trigger softly, you get one round. And of course, the optic has instead of uh, the normal reticle, it has this this hoop that is inside. Uh, you know, you know the center of this optic piece, and it's only one point five magnification. And you look through it, and it's pretty easy to stay you know on target when you're firing this thing. And there really isn't a lot of recoil to speak of. But pulling the trigger, you know, once or twice uh, in single shot form, and then you know bearing down with this, you know, you got this vertical foregrip. You pull, pull on back into your body. I pulled the trigger hard, and you know what I was treated to? The exact sound uh, that came uh, from the movie. And I remember even in 1988 that the, the sounds of gunfire were, were magnified. You know, like, it, to me, it seemed really like, wow, you know, like, much so much louder than the usual pow-pow that I was used to seeing in TV. It, Die Hard was a little bit special that way. You know, the stereo speakers were kicking in, and to watch Carl's gun go off all those times and to shoot it myself and to hear the exact same sound um, as that movie in that moment. Uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised. They must have clearly sampled the the sound of a full auto aug and, and put it into that movie to get that effect. But I was really happy when I fired that. It was totally controllable. And at the same time, what a treat. You know, like when I, when I took my cheek off the side of that gun, I was pretty happy with myself. Like, I mean, the whole experience was fantastic. We went back twice. We went back twice. Yeah. Did oh, yeah. You? People don't know it. We went We went and uh, put together the one video right away, but um, we were looking for something to do in the final day, and, you know... You're at shot, yeah, show, we, and you're looking for something to do? Yeah, yeah. You know what? You, you kind of get tired. You get blisters on your feet. If you ever go to you're shot... You're soft. Tour, you know, I'm not soft. I, you know what? I, 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 this year, I went smart. I tell you, the first year, I wore my best-looking shoes. 
this year and because it, it's about fashion when you're well, at shot you, show you eh? know what you, you, princess you, hey the first time i went it was kind of a special special thing you know so i put on my nicest shoes and i got blisters for my company by new mutandis the first you, time you, you went know, to listen listen why why are you getting all over you want to talk about teaching <laughs> it's your, listen, it, it, that would be because you want to, not because uh, I want to. You know what? I do want to talk about it. I think that a lot of people might be interested in hearing what you got to say. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, you know, we're going to leave that. We're going to leave that for another podcast. It's, you want to talk a, about it? It's up to you. Okay, well, I don't you, care. You know what? I, I'm interested. All right, because I, I know that you know. Just for the record, I was somewhat reticent about doing this. Uh, you know what, though? I think it's an important subject. I, I think it's something that needs to be talked about. I, I certainly don't have an understanding of it. And, and a lot of people are of the opinion out there in the public. I mean, you get you, teachers obviously want something. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that feel that teachers perhaps are, you know, already overpaid or whatever. I, I, believe me, uh, for the things that you put up with as a teacher in this country under our current system, which doesn't allow teachers to throw kids down, you know, flight yeah. of stairs the way they, they did. Kinda, they kind of look down upon that these yeah, days. Yeah, you know, like, you know, if you threw a kid out of a third floor window of, you know, if you're high school as a teacher, you know, you could have been around during my generation. Uh, things have certainly changed. And, and teachers don't have the same outlets. I feel bad. And one of the things that, you know, I used to do as a police officer go to the schools and I always congratulated the teachers on having a degree of patience that I, I, I wasn't sure I would ever have uh, you know you you certainly maintain control of your classroom but, but for the people out there that think the teachers make too much and that this is all about money I mean what what it really is it all about well, the, the, the okay so before before I even say anything, I have to preface it by saying that the the media is not doing a very good job, and I'm not saying biased versus unbiased. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about just putting out um, facts and and what the what the high school teachers are fighting for is different to an extent from what the elementary teachers are fighting for, and they okay. don't do a very good job of discerning between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Being an elementary teacher, the big issues for us are, number one, class size. Um, You know, classrooms now are not classrooms. It's not the same classroom as when you or I were in school. When you or I were in school, you didn't have the behavioral kids. You didn't have... The special needs kids. You didn't know, but you Maybe didn't. Not officially. No, you didn't. You didn't. Have, those kids were not typically part of, of the classroom. So people would say, "Well, yeah, we had 30-35 when we went to school, and there was no issue." Correct. We did have 30-35 when we went to school, and there was no issue because kids were raised differently. Kids were, were dare I say it, a lot more respectful of authority back then. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have the behaviors in there. We didn't have autistic kids in the classroom. We didn't have special needs kids in the classroom. And all those things together make a classroom a thousand times more manageable. When you have to say something once or twice and then that's it, how much time can you spend now not having to manage classroom, manage behavior and redirect that and in, in, in focus on the kids or the kid that's struggling with, with, with a division problem or the, someone who doesn't, you know, the other kid who doesn't, doesn't understand what making an inference is and with respect to language. You can pull those kids aside to, you know, if those three or four kids and work with them individually and everybody else is sitting there doing, doing their work and you don't have to stop every 35 seconds. So class size is, is a, a legitimate concern okay it's a legitimate item okay but because because of the fact that classrooms are so different now than they were 40 years ago 35 years ago whatever it may be okay um if and, and if anybody tries to 
to to to tell you and I, i've seen this a couple times online i think it's just the most asinine argument against um did i make it no uh <laughs> just other pages that i follow the most asinine argument against um, uh, keeping class sizes small is, and, and the philosophy is the reasoning was that, that the unions want smaller class sizes so they can hire more teachers to, to, which would in turn bolster their, their power because of, they have more members. That's absolutely ridiculous. And I've seen that in more than one place. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's got nothing to do with absolutely nothing to do with with trying to make the unions more powerful it's got everything to do with being able to manage a classroom the less kids in a classroom the more teacher to student time right i mean it, it, that's a big one of the big differences between public school and private school you go to a private school where you're paying obviously a hell of a lot more money out of your own pocket kind of thing versus just your 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 your, your, your municipal taxes it is the biggest difference is 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 class size you get 15 kids 14 kids in a classroom that's huge i I had that one year i had 14 kids night and day i've got twice that amount now okay all right so so what 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 are some of the other issues uh so that the top three that's one of them class size uh increasing prevalence of violence in the classroom as well is another one um where's that where's that coming from the kids well, I, I, well, no, but I mean, okay, I kind of gather you were well, punching out Miss, Mrs. Sarge <laughs> down the well, hall from grade two. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not sure what you're asking. Then, when you, well, it, like, I mean, behavioral the, kids, you get behavioral kids in the classroom. Okay, they, so just so, so just kids acting out and acting out, but trashing classrooms. Okay, I've it, seen it myself at the school I'm at oh, now. No, 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 no. I, I I imagine I've seen two, some, three times a day. I've seen some interesting things in my day. You're forgetting I spent 20 years as a police officer. Right. I so saw, I saw a lot more of that towards the end of my career. But the direction the trend. But the direction as a teacher that we get from an administrative administration, a board level is let the kid do it. See, I'm not evacuate the classroom. Make oh sure all the God. that's what we're we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. You know what? I, I get the kid, get the other kids out. And I've seen it. Then stand there at a door. Not my class at a door. Watch the kid trash the classroom. So and so, then and then of course hold on then the teacher has to go clean it up and anything that's broken that is is um, the teach belongs to the teacher that they purchase for the classroom well it's out of their pocket because the school won't reimburse them and sometimes this happens two and three times a day really I've really? seen it in my in my school see this is this is where I would probably be accused of being you know a Neanderthal or a troglodyte um, like I mean I, the idea that okay so hold on let's look at this purely from a health perspective so well it is so it's a health and safety so, issue so you're hold on you're telling me that a kid's flipping out and someone out there by way of policy has determined that the best course of action is to remove everybody from the room correct isolate that correct. person basically yep. make them feel like they're in a bubble where let them do what they're going to do okay so absolutely now, so now that's the policy apart, they tear apart the classroom I, I, I could see teachers grabbing their purses and things like i mean phones would be subject to spat like i mean you come back to a trashed classroom see i can't get down with that program i was raised different i tell you so was i, I. yeah i'm older than you are it's yeah. just like that didn't happen in in, in my day and your day tougher love you know what i truly do believe that it's it's going to be what has to happen you know for all those people that we feel sorry for we keep kicking out on bail as a police officer i saw the rotating door for 20 years uh getting tough on crime i think is going to be part of the solution uh there's a lot of things that need to be done to uh you know 
curb the violence. That but I'm talking kids that are in grade two. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm in kindergarten classes. Yeah, but we're you know what we potentially are breeding people that you know can't control themselves and are prone to outbursts, and that that that's of concern. You know, the now, now let's add to that hmm. any expense potential to the teacher. If they break any furniture, now there's an added expense to that that has to be replaced. And, and, and the parents won't have to pay for it. That'll come out of the school's budget. Hold on. Now, if that keeps repeating and repeating and repeating, yeah. I don't care who you are. At some point, that's going to take its toll on you from a stress standpoint. Okay. So you know, now, hold on. Now, yeah. if that if that teacher goes off on stress leave, yeah. now you have to pay that teacher who's on stress leave mm. in addition to the teacher that has to replace them. Oh, okay. Of course, all this could be resolved by just grabbing the kid by the scruff the way things used to be. And I mean, there's or just exerting some discipline. Well, you know what? Forget discipline. Bring them under control. Uh, you know, the way the way parents should parent. I mean, parents trust, you know, teachers and people in educational positions of power with the, you know, the welfare of their kid, you know, definitely educating them. Uh, you know, why wouldn't you trust them to grab on to your kid if he gets out of hand? I mean, uh, that that's part of good parenting. I mean, there's actually a, a section of the criminal code that indicates that parents, caregivers, guardians, are all allowed to use reasonable force to correct a child. And that that was something that always caused me some grief during my uh, time as a police officer. I, I always used to tell people the uh, policies of the CAS do not supersede uh, the laws of the criminal code of Canada. You know, you're allowed to grab on to a child that is throwing a tantrum and use physical force to bring them under control, uh, to deprive you as teachers of that, that option, uh, as, as paid for professional adults really disturbs me. And I mean, there's people out there saying like, don't touch my kid. I, I think that if you're going to trust them to educate your kid, you probably should trust them to, you know, bring them under control. If your kid acts like a total ass, I, I I'm sure there's some chemical imbalances and some other issues at work that may parenting you know, plays a big role, but, but parenting I know plays a big role. And, you know, I've seen it myself and, you know, I've, I've made the mistake of telling some mothers that, um, you know, perhaps they may be part of the problem and it hasn't always gone over well. And I certainly was not going to be guilty of, uh, you know, being honest with the public when I saw something, you know, that was, that was me. Uh, but I mean, again, to deprive you, te you know, teachers of that option, uh, it's a reasonable one, you know, that, that adds to stress. And I mean, if it causes, you know, uh, people to go off on leave and then to have to replace them and then all that, you know, of course filters back to the taxpayers as wasted money. Well, the, 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 the ink, there's been a steady ink increase in the last five to seven years of, um, teachers, taking stress leave oh, yeah. having to make injury claims because they had they had a chair thrown at them like yeah. it, it's absolutely ridiculous yeah. mental stress because they're getting threatened by i mean you get because i teach elementary there, there tends to be more females that, that in that field as opposed to males yeah. um you get some of those grade seven and eight kids mm. uh they get pretty big i mean to me, that doesn't make a difference, but you get, you know, some of the, and I'm not being sexist any, any, at all here, but there's, sure there's some, there's some pretty, there's some pretty big kids in, in the school that I'm at. Um, and, and some of those female teachers are, are not all that big. So if they're getting threatened by them like that and, and nothing's going to get done. Yeah. Right. Then, you know, obviously it's kind of, it's going to, at some point there has to be, there, there it's going to take its toll. Like yeah. it's just, 
You know, like a lot of things, um, you know, I'm going to relate this back to policing. I, I feel sorry for all the guys out there that have to start shifts, you know, five under strength and have been doing so, you know, for the last, you know, decade plus. Uh, for everybody out there that has had to show up for work and realizes that there's absolutely no hope of being able to go home early when you really could use the day off. I mean, being a police officer and EMS personnel in general, that includes firefighters, paramedics, border services, security, uh, you name it. Uh, you know, everybody that does shift work and is on the job, I feel for you when uh, it doesn't seem like you're getting the support you need. Uh, it's really a difficult thing to come forward if you're having difficulties uh, in the world of policing. I can speak from my exposures to a number of my colleagues uh, having a hard go that uh, the need to be able to speak to somebody is really important and we're seeing a lot more people going off on uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, stress leave. I can't imagine it's any different in the uh, field of education, but uh, but police in general. Like, I mean, we got to take care of these uh, brave men and women that take care of us every day and giving them, you know, good options and uh, avenues and outlets, uh, you know, giving them the help that they need. Uh, I think something just recently got started. Uh, I haven't had a chance to really look into it too closely. Uh, let's talk Bell. Is that something uh, something going on? Bell, let's talk. That's Bell. been going on for a few years now. Yeah. Just it, It's so, it's one day a year and, and I think it's five cents from every text sent during the day. Bell donates towards... Um, mental health supports oh, okay all right that's that's a nice initiative that uh, sounds sounds like a good one i mean anything that anything be done to uh, support you know the men and women that take care of us uh you know people in the public spheres you know i i i often tease firefighters but the truth is is you know they're they're brave bastards uh, going into burning buildings, you know, that can collapse all around them. Uh, it's a very dangerous job. Uh, certainly they see people at their absolute worst just uh, in a different way than perhaps yep. police officers do. And, uh, you know, to, to make sure that those people are taken care of, I think is really important. And, and it brings us back right back to uh, the subject of guns. If they're going to spend $600 million to start on, you know, buying back guns that will never be used in crime, the mm-hmm. least they could do is, you know, really help the guys and girls, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of policing by getting them the resources they need, giving them the authority they need uh, to enforce the law, uh, to shake down these bad guys. Uh, I'm not going to get into the subject of carding right now, but the truth is, is that, you know, the street checks were the single best way of shaking down the bad guys they knew had guns and uh, keeping them off the streets. We all projected that it was going to be about two years, and sure enough, here we are. Uh, it seems to be a, an act of gun violence uh, or, you know, an act involving a firearm, uh, gang violence uh, occurring in our day, you know, daily news uh and and it has to be stopped and i I think that people out there in the public should know that uh, we as a firearm community want it to stop more than anybody else because we've been blamed for everything and uh, certainly changing the laws that impact us and not the criminal element will not get us the solutions we need so you know just just relating it back to uh firearms for a second uh, I think it's really important that people understand you know what we're up against uh, there doesn't seem to be any good reason to uh, try and affect bans but they want to anyway uh, although uh, certainly with a number of people coming forward police associations chiefs uh, you know police officers uh, you know uh, you know we, we've got a group of doctors we're waiting to hear from very shortly that are uh, definitely interested in speaking <clears throat> uh, you know uh, from a medical community perspective uh, we, we have our six or seven uh, bad doctors out there that just don't seem to like Mr. Drummond that don't seem to want to see reason. Yeah, they've been pr- pretty quiet lately. Yeah, so they, they've been pretty quiet. They, yeah, they got nothing. Well, there there was you know there was that whole bulletproof thing um, that I saw floating around. Obviously, some money's been spent on you know some go cure a cold. Do yeah. what you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know what? If if my car if my car was busted down, I wouldn't call them. I mean, they they really don't know anything about firearms yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there are a group of doctors that do though, and they they contacted us and uh, want to do a, a few things with us in the future. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting in touch with a, a few more of them. They uh, really are a knowledgeable bunch, uh, and I'm excited. Uh, about working uh, with them. Yeah, that'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, and and bring us right home, uh, you know, because I, I really want to get some of this cleaning done. It's yeah, we need to. We do, we do. But I want to show you what I brought, you know. And here, here we are. With, I'll give you, I'll give you this. Nadine calls it the sword. Well, right. I mean, you could. You could probably hunt with this thing. You know what? Isn't that unbelievable? Uh, what what Coach Nick is holding in his hand is actually a bayonet. Uh, it's a bayonet, but it's for a... Uh, <clears throat> let's see. A 1918 a manufactured and produced uh, SMLE Lee Enfield rifle. And, of course, uh, I managed to get my hands on this one. I shot it during one of our videos. It's from World War One originally, but it's got... Um, Canadian uh, stampings on it, the broad arrow, and I guess it was reissued in World War II. So this particular Lee Enfield has seen two world wars, and it's got that full-length wood. And I mean, what were your first impressions of this thing? That it's in outstanding shape. Yeah, you like it? Consi considering it's been through two world wars and its age. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's got your your, your dings and whatnot on on the wood but the wood is in like i say considering the wood is in remarkable shape yeah. and and that that bayonet adds about a foot and a half to it on the end to the thing <laughs> it's super long you know what they weren't messing around i just i just went to see with podcast brian and michelle uh his lovely wife i went to go see 1917 I went to the movie theaters and I got myself in the movie theater with them. Uh, we went to go see like a matinee type thing. And, you know, of course, everybody in the movie is carrying, you know, SMLEs. Yeah. And with full wood and, you know, to see them walking around with those bayonets. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, jumping into trenches with this giant sword connected to the end of your rifle. Oh, it, 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 it's, it, I bet you it's close to four and a half feet. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty, with it's, that a pretty bayonet. it's a pretty big unit with that bayonet, which was obviously designed to reach out and kind of poke at somebody. Uh, you know, I guess reach was more important. Uh, back then, uh, there must have been uh, bayonets for other rifles that were, uh, you know, a little bit shorter. I guess they wanted to create bayonets that were a little longer on a longer rifle so that they could no outreach their competition. Yeah, and be the first one to, you know, score a point. And I can't even imagine, you know, carrying that thing. It's a big, it's a big rifle. It's not it a big rifle. And and truth be told, it's a true assault rifle. And that's that's something that I think, you know, we open the door to. If we let them ban certain assault rifles based on certain features and any military derivations, you know, if we had to call something truly an assault rifle, and I mean, there's the argument that you know, the assault rifles are fully automatic and none of them up here are, you know, assault rifles. But what what the liberal party would you know kind of characterize an assault rifle is anything with you know pistol grip a flash hider, uh, you know, bayonet lugs, something, you know, maybe this black, uh, you know, it has a detachable box magazine, you know, scary sights. I don't know. Like, I mean, they, they want to call anything scary. I'm sure prohibitive, but the true assault rifle is actually in your hands right now. That yep. was, that was a firearm that was designed for combat. It was a 10 round detachable box magazine, uh, bolt action rifle that cocked on clothes and it would fire a little faster than other things in its day. And it had a couple more rounds in that magazine magazine then you know perhaps your uh mauser would hold like what like five 
six. You're, you got a K98, right? Yeah, five. Five, yeah. So this, thing, is, yeah. so this thing had 10 rounds of 303 ammunition. Uh, they did chamber them in 308, I think, at some point post-war. But, you know, it's a cool it's a cool piece knowing it came from World War One. I. I like the dinks. They, they, it's got character. Like, every time I hold that thing, I think to myself, it's, um, you know, something that a Canadian carried. And I can't believe how smooth the action is. Yeah. Isn't it nice? is freak. It just glides. Yeah. That bolt just glides. You know, I'm looking for some answers on that back sight. It's got the, it's got the, um, uh, windage adjustment. And there's a couple of things about this rifle that, you know, remain unanswered at this point, uh, outside of the date of its manufacture and what Dane's told me, uh, I'm really impressed with it, but I don't know that much about it. So perhaps I'll take some pictures of it soon and ask you guys on the page. Yeah. Yeah, it's a knowledgeable audience, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've created actually a fantastic database of knowledge. A lot of people really, really interested in uh, some of the things that uh, you know have come out of our pages. <clears throat> and and actually, I got to talk about this just before we leave. Fishing World, Fishing World had this Lee Enfield down there, and I got to tell you, it's one of the nicest. It, to me, it looks like the stock has been refinished. And when I say that, I mean, it's just too damn nice. It's got this gloss to it and it's really smooth and it feels beautiful, but it's probably the nicest, one of the nicest Lee infields I've ever seen. And it's got a magazine cut off and it's got the full length wood and it's a BSA, but it comes with uh, 303 blanks that I have a type that I've never seen before. And this kit, which has been described to me as a boar sighting kit from like sometime in the 1900s. And you basically have these little miniature, like one inch tall mini targets that slip into this um, stand that fits into the ground, like kind of like a tent stake. And I, judging from the instructions, you could see a, a soldier laying down on the ground and firing this thing a few inches away from this little target stand uh, that comes in the kit. And it's all wrapped in this beautiful little box and um, it, the hinges are in good shape. The, the material wood is in good shape. The contents are all in shape. It comes with these little booklets of these little targets. And I guess you, you slide this instrument in the gun and it shoots this little dart into the paper. Like it's like a it's like a training bore sighting tool that shoots a little miniature dart through the whole length of this tube. And I guess you use these blanks in concert with it to get this thing to shoot these little mini darts. Is this how to sight it in? Is this yeah, a sighting in procedure? Yeah, it's 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 got this it's got this crazy uh, sight setup. Uh, it's it's got that you know that diopter sight uh, like target. Rear but it sight. still shoots three hundred three. It, it does, but the, with this kit installed, you put this uh, little thing in the ground and you shoot it a few inches away from the gun, and I guess it it sights the bore. It simulates like a hundred yards. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Like it's, it's actually, uh, that sounds like something that you would be issued with the gun. Like, no, 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 like to me, it's after the fact to me. Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, we, we checked in with our, um, you know, some of our more knowledgeable collectors. Uh, some of them had never heard of it before. Black powder Dave. No, you know what? I haven't checked in with him yet. I I checked in with Dane and, uh, Jane, Dane checked in with our secret collector, uh, who knows a lot more than Dane and certainly a lot more than me. And, and uh, I, I would say that, you know, he's more like a, an Ian from, from Gotten Weapons type, you know. Uh, Maybe the CGV gun doctor. 
You know what? Yeah, you know he might he might know too. Um, you know I, I gotta get in touch with him very shortly. Don, uh, if you're listening, I apologize for not being around a little more often, but I'm uh, gonna give you a shout soon. I'd love to get together with you and have a coffee. But uh, yeah, no, the, but this this kit, and we checked with our secret collector who told us that he had never uh, seen one before, and it's down at Fishing World, and it's with this uh, this Lee Enfield, and so you know. They've got something special down there. I, I told them immediately that it probably should be in a museum, uh, this little kit. And uh, I don't know much about the gun. I've taken some pictures of some of the markings. I'm going to put it on the page uh, very shortly, probably around the time that this podcast comes out, so that people can see uh, and perhaps share with us and our audience uh, what exactly it is that they've got there down at Fishing World. All right, then. Okay. <laughs> she caught me off guard. That sorry. was daydreaming. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I lost you. You're, you're staring into that Lee Infield, that SMLE still, eh? Yeah, it's a pretty nice it's unit. Cool. Anyway, let's wrap this thing up. Coach Nick, so, thank you so much for being here on the show. Always a pleasure. Right. Always, always a, great, a pleasure. Always a great time doing this with you. Let's anyway, get cleaning. Yeah, let's get cleaning. Anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube and on Instagram. And as always, Canada, don't forget to shoot straight. Stay safe.